The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Talk about some basic characteristics of a church or what we should be as a church. Uh, and there's so much that we could cover, but um, today will be the last message of the series uh, because there's so much to talk about church. So we'll revisit the issues as, as we go. You know, one of the topics I want to so deeply to talk to you about is worship. But, you know, talking about worship probably will take eight weeks. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. I love to preach verse by verse, but, you know, we can be in the book of John for three years. So sometimes that's not the good way to go either. Uh, but next Sunday I'll have a standalone message. And then um, after that, we're going to jump into Matthew and look for chapters 5 through 7. Anybody know what those chapters cover? The greatest sermon preached by the greatest preacher. It's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to start going through that. And so far we talked about baptism and explained what, you know, it's an outward symbol of what happens to you internally. Lord's Supper is not just remembering the death. It's also the celebration that he is alive and he's with us. Um, and for the body of Christ, we have to have the right framework. We have to have high view of God and His Word, and we talked about that as well. So church should have a high view of Scripture. It's the uh, authority. It's we should have sound doctrine in our churches, and uh, if the church does not have a high view of God or a high view of Scripture, that's not um, really a church or what God calls to be a church. We also take these things not just to hear, but we also practice this personal holiness, the process of justification. And we talked about what Judy briefly mentioned the prayer. You know, we talked about how that really is our secret weapon, but we don't really use it a, a lot of times. It's kind of like the spare tire in our cars. You know, it's, we know it's there, but, you know, we'll only use it when it's an emergency. And, you know, there's a hymn that says, So what peace we're often forfeit, or what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to the Lord in prayer. And, folks, we talked about how, you know, Sometimes we say, oh, it's too little to take to God, but think about it. Everything is too little to take to God, isn't it? So we must be a praying church. So one of the things that I kind of want to talk about, because it's the most question that I often get, and the question is, really it's the wrong question, but I'll say it anyways. How are you going to grow this church? How are you going to fill the pews in this church? And, you know, and I often answer, as you some of you know, sometimes straightforward. You don't want what I can do. You, you don't. I'm not going to grow this church. If we're going to grow this church, God's going to grow this church. And it's his church, and what we have to do is be obedient to him. And as a pastor, my primary responsibility is to fill the pew, not fill the pew, but fill the pulpit. To fill the pew, folks, that's your responsibility. That's your responsibility. And let me explain why. You know, you see, for three and a half years, Jesus was on this earth. He was walking with his disciple by his side. He was always there. If they didn't understand something, Jesus would explain it to them. You know, he taught them how to pray. He taught them sound doctrine. He reminded them that the Holy Spirit will come down and remind them all of these things. Because he knew he would have to return to his father. And towards the end of this, his ministry, remember that triumphant entry into Jerusalem on a donkey? 
a great multitude of people came out, and they wanted to make him king, and I bet you the disciples felt pretty good. Jesus is going to finally take his place as king, and we're going to be on his side. We're going to rule the kingdom. We're going to fill this kingdom. But what happened? It all came crashing down, right? Their plan was not the plan that Jesus had. Jesus was betrayed, and what's interesting, the same crowd that, you know, yelled, hail Jesus, a couple of days later, just saying, nail Jesus to the cross. That's how people are. They change. Christ remains the same. And maybe these disciples now heard that they're going to be accused of stealing the body now. Jesus died, was buried, and he's somewhere nobody knows. And, you know, the, the rumors that the disciples stole the body. And they were afraid. They were scattered, and they were all locked up away. If you look at John 20, 19, it says, Then the, the same day at the evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews. The doors were shut. What happened? Disciples had more questions than answers, trying to figure things out. Where do we go from here? We used to have Jesus by our side all the time. He would instruct us what to do, where to go. Well, Jesus did not fail. Because if you continue reading John 20, 21, he says, Jesus said to them, peace to you. And here's the greatest statement I want you to understand. Incredible statement. And one of the most important statements in my estimation from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ to his followers. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So folks, in plain English, what are we supposed to be doing? Supposed to be doing what the Father sent Jesus to do. We are sent by Jesus the same way he was sent by the Father. Don't forget, folks, that Jesus came to us. He didn't wait for us to come to him, did he? He descended from heaven. He took a form of a man, ministered in villages and towns where they lived. Jesus took the initiative. He sacrificed his comfort. He went out to us where we were, and too many of us, you know, shouting messages to the unsaving world from the safety of the shore. We're not swimming out there. So what the Father required of Jesus, folks, he requires of us. And what Jesus said to all his disciples long ago, says to us, each, each of us here this morning, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And we need to understand that the body, the church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head and the Holy Spirit who does the work. So the function of the church in the world is to be an instrument through which the Holy Spirit deals with people. With what? The Bible tells us with sin, righteousness, and judgment. So it's our job, every single one of us, to bring people to Christ. And as people respond to the gospel, we show them to the Word of God so they can be assured that their sins are forgiven. And this morning, folks, when we read this message, this passage, I want you to imagine the Lord Jesus Christ himself looking you right in the eyes and saying to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. I want you to hear Jesus saying that to you this morning. So this morning is really a message about 
every Christian's or every member's of this church, this is your job description. It's the job description of every Christian, not just the pastor, deacons, or somebody else, for everyone. And number one, his mandate is to be your mandate. Well, what was Jesus' mandate? What did the Father send the Lord Jesus Christ to do? In 1 John 4, 14, it says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as a Savior of the world. Savior of the world. What was the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ? He didn't come as a great teacher. He didn't come as a great politician or entertainer or anything like that. He wasn't concerned with all that. He was concerned with saving people. He's the Savior of the world. And in John 3, 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Sometimes people view Christianity like, oh, they're talking about sending people to hell and so forth. No, that's not why he's... And if you, you know, some people don't like the message of Jesus. But he's not condemning the world. But the world through him might be saved. The world through him might be saved. So what's the mandate that the Son have from the God the Father? God says, you know, go, my Son, go save those people. And what's the mandate you and I have? I can't reach all those people you work with, you can interact with when you leave this place. That's your mandate. Salvation of souls. If you look at Psalm 126, verse 6, it says, He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That's our job, folks. That's our duty. That's our opportunity and Daniel 12, 33 says, Those who are wise shall shine like brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness, those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You know, most of you know I like to watch documentaries, and sometimes I watch the sport documentaries, and most of them I like to watch about Michael Jordan. I don't know. But, you know, he's still the goat, I think. But... I watch these documentaries, and there's one thing that's common with any, really, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird. They put so much effort, so much training in becoming a great athlete. They make so many sacrifices in their personal lives to be a great athlete. And the amount of time it takes, folks, it's pretty incredible. They had no life when they were kids. It was basketball, basketball, basketball. It was their life 24-7. And folks, really, to be great at anything, you have to make sacrifices. To be a great musician, you have to make sacrifices. You have to play those boring scales. You have to know all those scales. You have to understand music. And then if you just stop playing for a week, you're going to lose it. So you've got to keep practicing and so forth. But friends... What I want to say is let basketball players and football players and musicians and whoever have their thing. I like watching sports. But if you're smart, you're going to be a soul winner. You're going to be a soul winner. Because we need to start investing our life in the only thing that else is going to heaven. Basketball is not going to heaven. What's all is going to heaven? The soul's. Of men. We need to invest our life in reaching the lost. That's the mandate Jesus had from the Father. And that's the mandate we have from the Father. To get 
women, men, friends, relatives, ready for heaven. Second thing is his mission is to be our mission. And really, in here we'll talk about his mission was fourfold. Jesus came, number one, to reveal the Father. Nobody can see God face to face. So Jesus was God in flesh. He came to reveal the Father. In John 14, 9, it says, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long, and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus came to this world to manifest the Father. That should be our mission. I am to manifest the Lord Jesus Christ who manifested the Father. So it's our job as Christians to reveal God and Christ in our lives. You know, I visited a church for a while back in California, and the pastor was preaching passionately for those that do, know, do not know Christ to acknowledge them as their Lord and Savior of their lives and let you know, surrendered their hearts to him and so forth. And after the church service, he invited me over for dinner, and we were driving, and his son, probably was seven or eight at the time, was sitting in the back and started asking his dad questions. We're talking, and he says, Dad, how tall is Jesus? He says, well, I don't know. You know, he just says, well, do you think he's tall as you? He says, well, perhaps. And he says, well, if I let him into my heart, won't he stick out? Very great illustration, because he should. If he's in your heart, he should be sticking out. If Christ is in your heart, he is your Lord, it will show. And Jesus came to reveal the Father, and my mandate is to reveal the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our job duty, not just to spread the gospel, but it's our job and duty to exemplify the gospel. And Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Folks, we're not saved by works, but if we are saved, we will work. You will work. Not only that, not to manifest the Father, but he also came again, I'm going to touch on this, to redeem the lost. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save which was lost. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul writes, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Again, folks, he didn't come to this world to be a great healer. He didn't come to this world to be a miracle worker. He came to get people to heaven. He came to save, save sinners. He came to reveal the Father. He came to redeem the laws. And not only that, he came to re raise up the church. And Matthew 16, 18 says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this, speaking of himself, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hate shall not prevail against it. That's why you don't want anything that I can do, because God builds his church, the true church. And 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. It is he who builds the church. Our job is what? To be obedient to his word. He came to build the church, not the church building. We are the church. And his mission is to be my mission, to reveal God, redeem, you know, to redeem men, to raise the church. And folks, you know, sometimes people say, hey, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. You know, they're all like organized religion. Folks, if you love Jesus, you're going to love the church. 
because that's what Jesus came here to do, to raise up the church. He loves his bride. Not only that, he came to ruin Satan. If you look at 1 John 3, 8, it says, He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this is the purpose, Son of God was manifested. And what's the method that Jesus used? Because his method should be our method, right? His mandate is our mandate. His mission is our mission. But his methods should be our methods as well. His method was incarnation. You see, he took up flesh upon himself. Listen to the description in Philippians 2.7. It says, but, may, but made himself of no reputation, taken the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And this is what we don't understand because we're so comfortable sitting here with our friends and relatives and so forth. Jesus had become human so he can come down to us in the flesh and make contact with us. Make contact with us. He didn't stay up there in heaven and dispense salvation through some app or something, you know, or send it through FedEx or UPS and wait till it gets down there. His method is us. We are to go, just as he went to us. We need to go to the unsaved world. And God's methods is us, men and women. That's why Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, I sent you. You guys are the method. And he didn't wait for people to come to him because he knows we wouldn't come to him, would we? So he came to us where we are. He took human flesh, came down here, dwelt among us. And you know, to me, that's the greatest mystery. I just don't understand that. The, the holy God taking a form of a creation. How can you fit God into a body like this? The how, pardon my saying, but how disgusting it would have been. But he took no reputation. He didn't care about those things. He took a form of a bondservant because he was concerned with the lost. And folks, let me tell you something. We really do have a beautiful facility here at Grace, and we're working on updating it, and you know, we did a lot of updates already, of painting and so forth, and wonderful and so forth, but don't ever get an idea because we have a nice church building. Or even if we start getting programs and so forth, we should expect the lost people to start coming. Don't ever get that idea. Study the Bible, folks, and I'm going to tell you something. You'll never find one shred of evidence, one shred of word that says to the unsaved world that they must come to church. Never is a lost person told to go to church. Over and over, the church is told to go to the lost. Isn't that what Jesus did? He came down from heaven, and we think, why is it strange people don't go to church? I mean, folks, let's be honest. Sometimes it's hard for us to get to church, isn't it? And I know sometimes when you had kids, those little tykes. I know I only have one daughter, but when she was little, you know, those little ankle biters. Sometimes they, they uh, make you late for ch church, right? Somebody forgot, and I remember when we were kids, we forgot to brush our teeth or, you know, our shoes on our opposite feet. You know, parents are running late and so forth. And folks, we want to come. We desire to come. 
And I shared a story with you when the son was telling his mother all the reasons he didn't want to go to church. People there are mean and so forth, and they're all hypocrites and all that kind of stuff. And his mother told him, no, son, you must go to church. He said, why? She said, because you're the pastor. But those, we have the desire to come, and it's hard. So what's Jesus' method? His method, he went out. He came to where sinners were. We are to go and bring them in, compel them to come. And folks, you know, don't need to raise your hand, but if you think about it, there's some people that brought you to Christ, wasn't there? You didn't just show up. Wasn't there some people that led you to Christ? And there's a thousands of people in this very city, in just Vesterville alone, folks, who would be saved if somebody would just go out there and get them, who had said, come to church with me. Come to church with me. Some people just waiting for an invitation because they don't want to go alone. And if you say that's not true, well, it tells me something about you. You've never been asking. You do not know. I'm telling you, their people are hungry for the truth, especially with everything that's happening in this country, in this world. They're waiting, and they will be saved. And really, if you think about it, you can put the whole entire Bible in two verbs, come and go, right? Somebody said the first two letters of gospel, the word gospel is go. You come to Jesus, and then you go out to the world. And folks, we need to understand separation from the world you know, we need to be separated from the world. doesn't mean isolation from the world. We are to be the light. We're not going to, you know, preach the gospel at people, but you share the gospel with people. And if they don't want to hear it, just do what the apostle did. Just wipe your feet and move on to the next. That's it. But the problem with many of us, we've served the Lord. We think we just come to church and, friend, you know, uh, this, is, this is good enough. Just coming to church. And I have a friend who's a farmer, and he does farming for a hobby. I don't know anyone except him who does a farming for a hobby. But the reason is because he's been farming all his life when he was little, and he shared this experience with me, and I think it's a great illustration. He said one day his dad woke him up early in the morning. You know, he, it was time for him to learn how to do things on the farm. He was really excited to go out and help dad. So they went to bed very early, and they got up very early, and he said very early, it was still dark, the sun was up, you know, they came out of bed, they went, and the floor was cold and so forth, he came on and said, let's go do things, and they milked the cows, you know, fed the chickens, and caught some, cut some wood up, and did all this work, and you know, and then they came back in and had some breakfast, and after breakfast, he's like, all right, Dad, I'm going to bed. He's like, what are you... What are you talking about? You're going to bed. He said, well, I'm tired after all this work. He said, son, it's not all work. Those were just the chores. The work is out in the field. And folks, we come to church, we're so tired. But folks, this is just the chores. This is where you come to get your cell phone charged, get your energy charged, and you go out in the world for the week. You know, I remember uh, when we first moved to America, I was going to a ESL classes, and I went to an Indianola Middle School. If you want to Google it, you can find out what kind of school that was. Uh, now the building is locked up. Oh, he knows it. <laughs> yeah, my, my nickname was Casper at that school. But we had this great ESL teacher. 
You know, she was a Christian lady. She was kind of reminded me of some of Sister Act lady. She would sing Amazing Grace and so forth. And she would, not just us, the kids in the class, but all the kids in the hallways too, if they're talking Ebonics, what we call Ebonics, you know, she would, uh-uh, she would try to teach them proper English. And one time we were going on the field trip and I said, I ain't going. Mm, mm. She corrected me in front of the class. She said, now you listen to me. She says, I am not going. You are not going. You know, she's trying to teach me. We are not going. You all are not going and so forth. And before I could say anything, you know, the kid behind me said, yeah, we understand. Ain't nobody going. <laughs> and that's the way we are. Folks, we come here, but there ain't nobody going. We just talk about it. What was the method of the Lord Jesus Christ? They went out to where the people was. That's why he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus took the message where people are. And he did it because he was moved with compassion. And you know, some of the questions I ask myself, and you can ask yourself this question as well. When was the last time you wept over a soul? And I'm not just talking about, we all have friends and relatives that are not saved. I'm not just talking about just the unknown people there. But within your circle, within your circle, when was the last time you wept over a soul? Think about it. Look at what Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 31. says, therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn every night, everyone night, warn everyone night and day with what? With tears. He didn't stop. He didn't stop. In Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 9:1, as he looked at the lost of his day, he said this, "Oh that my head were waters and my eyes fountain of tears that my uh, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people, those who have died without Christ. People are dying, and folks, they're going to hell. You know, the Bible says there's more people that are going to hell and that they are going and going to go to heaven. And that doesn't concern us. We're more concerned with politics. There's more people that are going to hell for all eternity. And most of us are like the Arctic River. We're just frozen at the mouth. So, folks, his mandate needs to be our mandate. His mission needs to be our mission. His methods needs to be our method. And the message, his message needs to be our message. Do you know that about the Lord Jesus Christ? And one of the interesting things is, and you know, sometimes when I study the Word of God and so forth, you know, we go into Greek and Hebrew and so forth. But the thing with Jesus Christ, he was real easy to understand. If you wanted to know the truth. If you wanted to know the truth, the Bible says of the Lord Jesus that the common people heard him gladly. Look at Mark 12, 37 says, Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And then it says, And the common people heard him gladly. You know, sometimes we Listen to a sermon is so deep, but when you listen to Jesus and his message, you didn't have to carry a dictionary around. You didn't have to be a PhD. His message was simple, direct, easy to understand. It may have been 
hard to swallow, but it wasn't hard to understand. And sometimes, you know, I myself also listen to some sermons and so forth, and you don't understand what he's saying. And you're like, man, this guy must be deep. Well, if the river is muddy, it doesn't mean it's deep. Our message should be very, very simple. The message of salvation, sometimes we overthink it. It's very simple. Look what Isaiah 35, 8 says. A highway shall be there in a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall now shall not go astray. Whoever walks the road, although our fool shall not go astray. So that literally means walking the gospel road. That means as a stranger with, without good sense can find his way on the gospel road. And folks, does, people, does God want people saved? Of course he does. And God put his instructions in the Bible. He did. And they're very simple. Now, let me ask you a question. If you have a child and they were lost and they called you on the cell phone or sent you a text and they wanted to get home, they didn't know how to get home, how would you send that message? Wouldn't you try to make it as simple as possible? Or are you going to put some Greek and Hebrew in there and say, hey, look it up, figure it out. You may get home on time for dinner. I don't know. No, you're going to try to make the message as very plain as you could. And in Matthew eleven twenty five 25 says, at the times Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you are, you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to the babes. And that's what we need to do, folks. Give a simple message of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a PhD, and most people are not PhDs. You know, there's a saying that Billy Sunday said, put the cookies on the lower shelf. Jesus said, feed my sheep, not my giraffes. What was the message of Jesus? The message of Jesus, I'm not going to get into it, but it's, you can just read the entire chapter of John 3. We all know John 3.16. That's the simple, glorious, plain, wonderful truth. And what was his motive? What was his motive of coming down? His motive, one of the motives, I'm going to share four with you. Number one is obedience. We talked about being an obedient church to the Word of God, but you know Jesus had to be obedient? Jesus, the Son of God, had to be obedient. Look again in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 7 through 9. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself and became what? obedient, and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Speaks of Jesus, he made himself of no reputation. And you know, a lot of times we don't share the gospel, we don't witness, we're afraid we're going to ruin our reputation. We're afraid what other people are going to think of us or say. We're afraid we're going to think of what other people will think of us. But we really, as Christians, need to learn how to live for the audience of one. You see, it's far more important what God says about you than what the world says about you. 
We need to learn how to live for the audience of one. Jesus was not concerned with his reputation. He humbled himself. This is God Almighty. He knew who he was, and we need to realize, we talked about a while back, who we are in Christ. We need to know who we are. And our concern should be with the lost. Jesus made himself of no reputation and became obedient. You know, sometimes I talk to people and they say, well, you know, God didn't make me a soul winner. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a musician or I'm this kind of minister, da, 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 da. Folks, if that's fine, you're all those things, but you will be a soul winner because that's every Christian's responsibility. Every Christian's responsibility. It's in every Christian's job description. I'm telling you, folks, God has called us all in each of us and said, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Also, he was motivated by love. And this is what I mentioned when was the last time you wept over a soul. Jesus looked at Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37. He says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Even though they were not willing, he was motivated by love. His heart was broken. He moved with compassion. And folks, again, do we love the lost? Or we just talk about how good we are and how bad they are. Are you motivated by love? Not only that, Jesus, I want to say this, was moved by necessity. If you look at John 3, 14, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, folks, God had no other plan to save us. Had Jesus not obeyed, had Jesus not fulfilled the Father's mandate, you know, there is no backup plan. Did you know that? There's no backup plan. And God has no backup plan for evangelizing the world. He uses us, the church, the body of Christ, to manifest him to the world. He has committed that to us, and it's interesting, not to the angels, not some creatures he created to us. And there is no backup. How are we manifesting Christ as churches today in this country? Jesus was motivated by obedience. Jesus was motivated by love. And I want to also say he was motivated by joy. He knew he had to go through all those painful things, but... Look at this, what he says this in Hebrews 12 too. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was sent before him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy he's enduring the cross? What was the joy that was sent before him. It's you. It's me. What did Apostle Paul say to those people that led people to Christ? He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? 
Is it not even in your presence of your Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Paul said, what's going to be my joy when Jesus comes? My joy is going to be those that I brought to Christ. You know, there's an old hymn in the lyrics of the hymn that goes, must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior's soul without one soul with which to greet him? Must I empty-handed go? What's going to be your joy? Wouldn't it be wonderful to see all those people that you had a part with introducing the gospel? And folks, a lot of times our joy is lacking. Get on a trail of winning some souls. Share Jesus Christ with them. You know, in Psalm 126, 6, again, it says, He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. You plant the seed, you, you'll come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Soul winning is like farming, folks. Uh, you, you, bear, you, you, you spread the word of God. You water it, you seed it with tears. But let me tell you something. Not every seed will sprout. You know, sometimes people get disappointed. They go try, and they're like, well, well, you didn't get saved. No, not every seed will sprout, but some will. You go, you scatter the seed, and after a while, you're going to win somebody through the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, I don't really care, I'll be honest with you, if they become a member of this church as long as they get into heaven. Spread the gospel. And folks, before I close this message, I want you to imagine the Son of God right now looking you in the eyes, and you're saying, what should I be doing? He says, as my Father sent me, I also sent you. In John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, I sent you. And folks, it's not a suggestion. Again, it's a command. We need to realize that. And we need to make a full, total surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and learn how to share the gospel. You know, somebody said that evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We are called to be witnesses, right? Well, the job of the witness is pretty simple. What does a witness do? He just states what he or she has heard, seen, and that's it. Share the gospel. And a lot of times we don't also don't share it because we have not seen anything. We haven't been really true born again. And I want every one of us to pray that God will lay at least one soul upon your heart whom you will continue to pray just on your list over and over and that he opens up opportunities to you to share the gospel. And then when he does, folks, be bold to share the name of Jesus. You can't be a failure the only way you're going to be a failure is by becoming disobedient. And successful witnessing is just sharing Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And folks, here's the thing. Leave the results to God. Sometimes we're trying to convert people, right? We're trying to make them look like Christians before they even become Christians, and then we have a church that's full of pagans. Let God do his work. We don't convert people. The Holy Spirit converts people. And folks, you know, as a church, we're a living church. We need to remember our past. We need to work for the future. We need to live in the present. But folks, if we're not going to be working for the future, I'll be honest with you, 
our church will have no future. Sometimes we're comfortable just resting in on the leaders of the church. But is that how your body works? Right? You just give everything to your legs to do all the thinking, all the walking, all the everything, or you use your entire body. And then as you function properly as using the entire body, right? Don't just, you need the eyes to see where you're going. So we're a church. And you know, I'm going to end with this poem. It's one of my beautiful, uh, favorite poems. It's called Having Beautiful Feet. And it says this, Having beautiful feet is obeying the great commission being faithful to the Savior's calling and being on the mission. Having beautiful feet is sharing the gospel with those who have never heard explain the way of salvation and God's holy word. Having beautiful feet is proclaiming the good news to all who will hear, remembering Jesus died for all, and to him every soul is dear. Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who witness for God's glory, the faithful servants whose purpose is is to tell the gospel story. Dear Jesus, please give me beautiful feet. Help me to care about the souls and not be asleep. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you empower your people to announce the good news that you brought to earth. Life of heaven, that you have sacrificed yourself for sinners and that you've been raised from the dead and exalted as the Lord of all creation. Father, empower us to live in the light of the gospel, being obedient to your word, declaring its truth in our words, and not only in our words, but in our actions. Give us love for you and love for another and love for the unsaved world. And as we leave this place today, Father, I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.